Well, first things first, Danny, how are you? Yeah, good. Thank you. Absolutely. Very good to hear. Now, I want to start with something. Maybe it's just my perception, but it seems like uh, you've been doing this for, for very many years, yet you always seem to have a fr fresh energy. You always seem to be very excited, uh, have fresh ideas. Um, what do you attribute this, this consistency to? It's the, the fact that you still love it so much. Well, I guess so, yeah. I mean, this album is um, the byproduct of three years on the road. Um, it was written before the pandemic. We were in the studio before the pandemic, which is lucky because it meant that we actually had our drummer physically there um, and he laid the drums down before having to go back to the Czech Republic because after, after that, it was lockdown and uh, even our Scottish compatriot Daniel couldn't... Uh, couldn't get to the studio for at least four months. Um, but the lockdown did provide us with uh, a very relaxed studio environment, working literally half days. Uh, the weather was nice. And, uh, yeah, it was, uh, when I say relaxed, it meant we could um, analyse the record as we went along. There were no deadlines as such. There was no one breathing down our neck saying, no, 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 you've got to get it finished by next week or, you know. You could, you got press to do then, you're going on tour. So that was really good mentally for, for the condition of the record and, and the condition of uh, everybody involved with it, even if they were worried about when the fuck am I going to get in the country to finish it. Um, everybody's experiencing that, you know, that problem uh, globally. So um, we didn't feel very, we didn't feel sorry for ourselves. But yeah, this album was a, a byproduct going full circle um, to being on the road for, literally three years and those three years being like the busiest uh, three years for touring of, of, of Cradle's career. After those three years of touring, did you need a, a break from it? Um, I was actually on a bit of a roll, to be honest. Okay. Uh, when, when we came out, well, when I said came out of lockdown, um, obviously you slow down during lockdown and uh, I was Oh, I can't believe that I could get back to the way we were before. I was like, I'd be on tour and I'd come back for the weekend. I'd take someone out in London and I'd go clubbing. I'd come back. I'd go and do this. I'd visit these people, go back on tour. It just felt like, oh, my goodness, like, how am I going to get? But it's like jumping in the stream and being swept away with the current. But slowly but surely, you know, you're kind of um, I'm getting back into that. We played Bloodstock a couple of weeks ago. I stayed somewhere else and I've been a lot of places since then. I'm going to Russia actually on Thursday for a couple of weeks to stay with um, my girlfriend's um, parents uh, at the beach. Um, and then after that, it all goes crazy again, you know, press all the way up until um, an American tour that starts at the beginning of October. Yeah. And next we've already got the next two years planned out like, pretty much show wise already um yeah so it's a, a case of mutate and surviving okay Getting used to, to to the way things were before maybe this is a silly question but if, if we go back and it can be uh when you first started out but and up until now but what is what keeps you so interested what is the the attraction to what you do to to uh to be as busy as you are um, I don't know. I like ex experience. Um, I like adventure. Um, 
it's great meeting with people with similar dispositions. <laughs> you know, a blood stop was a real eye opener. There were so many people I knew who had worked with before, and it was such a pleasure to see each and everybody and how everybody was having fun. I think everybody realised, you know, I think everybody realises that the pandemic is not what it took away, but, you know, as in the f- what everybody was craving for, bigger house, bigger car, more money for their work, you know, more holidays, etc. Mm-hmm. But it gave everybody a, a sense of self-reflection and looking back at the past and saying, you know what, my life was pretty fucking good. I'm going to fight to keep it the way it was. I'm not really bothered if it goes any further. It was great as it was. A lot of people are thinking that, you know, they, they, they you know, it could have all gone to shit. We could have lost everything. Um, so that's kind of the feeling. I think that's the feeling generally among musicians. They're just glad to be out there, back on the stage, playing the music they love in front of the people they love. Um, and that keeps you going enough. If not, if you don't even include all the inspiration that comes from the things you like um, and the world around you. And I think, you know, experience, um, and traveling and uh, meeting people and, uh, you know, just undertaking bizarre situations and scenarios is inspiration enough. If we talk about inspiration, then and you say you mentioned that this album uh, had been written uh, before the COVID thing happened. What what were the initial bones at, uh, for this uh, this album? What where, where sorry where was your your mind at? Well, I guess having travelled the world countless times, um, you could see like the chaotic nature of it. It felt chaotic. It felt like some we were like spiralling out of control, and that was kind of the inspiration behind the record. I mean, I'm not just saying it, we had bad times; it was all great, but. You know, when you visit different places, you, you suddenly realise how small the world is and how full the world is. And, um, yeah, you get a different picture. And it it just it just felt like um, a little a little chaotic. Mm. Um, and I mean, the album title itself, Existence is Futile, it sounds very nihilistic. It sounds very depressing and very like bleak. And yeah. If we are spying out of control, yes, it would come across as being akin to that. But I think there's a glimmer of hope in the title because it's basically saying, in my opinion, um, that, you know, if there is no governing body, there is no purpose. We're just here because a happy accident We're you know, we're like breadcrumbs on a massive in a massive universe that. If that really is the case, then we should embrace life while we've got it. So it's an actual positive thing. In I don't mean be selfish. I'm not saying like, okay, well, it gives a fuck about anybody else who follows us because, you know, we're only going to be here. We're not going to be able to see their misery. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying to be positive with the life that's been bestowed upon you. Right. So, it's, it's kind of... Uh, uh, well, because uh, I, I think the, the Crowley quote was written down in the bio as well, which explains this a little bit. Uh, we all know where we're, uh, we're going to die, so we might as well indulge uh, in life as much as possible. Um, so is, is that kind of the extent of it, to, to even though it doesn't matter what we do, at least enjoy what we do then, because that's, that's all there is? Um, yeah, I, see, I suppose it's a bit of a turnaround for, from 
a usual maxim where um but yeah i think it's it i think that 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 serves its purpose i think that you've you've got it right there um but i mean that's not saying you don't indulge in in all forms of art you know um in music and literature and film and you know opera and myth and legend and nature and and everything wonderful in life it's not saying that it's just it literally is saying yeah it's it's pointless so so everything is permitted and enjoy it and but there is still a a notion of uh, existential terror i mean uh, there's a song with that title but there is a sense of existential terror on the record so uh is it a difficult, this is going to sound weird, but is it a difficult time to be alive, you think? Um, only if you listen to the media. Fair I enough. I think it's probably the easiest time to be alive. I mean, they call this the snowflake generation, you know. Mm. Uh, like everything's there for you. You, you, know, you, don't, you don't have to, you just need to walk down the road and there's your food. You know, yeah. you want information, it's there on your phone or on your wrist or on your television. You know, you could literally get by just sitting on your on your couch nowadays and everything's brought to you. If you work, you know, if you work from home, you could just literally live in your house. So, yeah, I think it's the easiest time um, probably ever, even despite the pandemic. You know, everybody's complaining, I've got to stay home, blah, 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 etc. And that. Um but yeah, yeah, you, you're right. The album is f- full of existential terror about fear of the unknown, fear of death, uh, the uncertainty of fate, uh, certainty of fate in a massive cosmos that we don't fully understand yet. Um, so I guess the meaningless of life, but also the search for a meaning or vice versa, uh, search for a life's meaning in the meaningless of life. Um, the, the threat of imminent destruction questioning of one's own beliefs and morals um yeah um but like i say if that's the case um the absurdity of the human condition kind of demands that we embrace everything for its for its fleeting nature for the fact that it's only here we're only here for a certain amount of time so why should we wait another 11 hour uh, 11 years for a new Metallica album, for example. <laughs> <laughs> right. And as you mentioned, I mean, that in, in a way makes it more uh, beautiful because it's because it's so fleeting and because it's so rare, as well, I suppose, and because we only have this limited time and uh, limited <laughs> capacity to enjoy life, you might as well do it because otherwise, why, why are we here? Yeah, you've got plenty of time to sleep when you're dead. <laughs> exactly. And, and nothing. And for you, when you want to capture this attitude, uh, the things that you've uh, just now mentioned, um, how does that translate to the to the sonic landscape of the record? Because it is a very, I would say, fast and, and heavy album. Um, well, that's a very hard question. Somebody else was asking me to describe the album. I said, well, I really can't. That's your job. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're the listener. I'm just the provider. <laughs> um, you know... Uh, well, shall I ask it a little bit differently then? For for instance, if we if we take a song like uh, "Crawling King Chaos," uh, which which uh, talks about Apophis, uh, Apophis, Apo- yeah, Apophis, uh, the embodiment of chaos in uh, uh, Egyptian myth, I think. Um, how do you capture that sonically? 
Well, we wanted to, having come off for years of being on the road, um, we wanted to make the album as, as live as possible, mm. you know, as much as we could, uh, replicating how we sound on the stage, but bring it to a record. And we didn't want to overburden uh, it or saturate it with too many keyboards or too many overdubs of any sort, be it vocal, guitars or, or orchestration. We wanted to make it sound very live and less is more, really. I mean, if, if you're going to write a, like 20 parts and they're all conflicting, you're not going to hear those 20 parts. There's pointless yeah. even having them there. All you're going to do is just make it very hard on people's ears and people are going to struggle to get through a record. Um, we even kind of, I suppose you could say that the instrumental tracks are almost like the ginger and um, wasabi to, to, mm. you know, to cleanse the palate between mm. dishes. Um, or chapter headings, as you will. Um, so, yeah. Um, yeah, I think, yeah, I think that's a good answer. <laughs> <laughs> well, in, in that sense, because we're, as, as you were working on this album, um, did it feel like, well, how should I phrase this? Was it an organic way in which kind of the songs came together sonically and how they, because they all seem to fit very well together as well in terms of dynamics and then uh, the way that the album is sequenced. Did you know that you can change what you taste by what you hear? How can you use sound to make a deeper connection with your clients? Can we be healed with sound? Sound influences people in their buying decisions and their daily lives. In the podcast Audio Branding, I explore all of this, both with my own observations as a voice actor of over 15 years and by interviewing knowledgeable professionals in the field of advertising, marketing, music, and science. To have a listen for yourself, visit audiobrandingpodcast.com. Yeah, I mean, yeah, they, they, they serve, like I said, as chapter headings. Um, mm -hmm. They kind of set the mood, set the pace, refresh the ears, build it up toward the next, um, what would it be? I, I only listened to the album with the extra tracks, so that's how it was written. Right. Um, although saying that, Sisters of the Mist, um, which is a bonus track, um, and is the actual culmination of the Her Ghost in the Fog trilogy, Right. So, a Ghost in the Fog, on Nymphetamine, there was a song called her Swan Song for a Raven, which was the second part. And Sisters of the Mist is, is, is the culmination. And um, therefore features Doug Bradley. I mean, Doug Bradley also features on the album Suffer Dominion and a little bit in um, uh, Us Dark Invincible. But yeah, I see the album as this greatest thing, but with a small partition, I guess. Mm. Um, yeah, so for three... I guess they, they serve as chapter headings for, for the next three songs. Um, right. And, and as I described before, I, I, I just think it works in context of atmosphere and uh, relief. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I like that you mentioned uh, Sisters of the Mist because, um, as you say, it's a culmination, a culmination of uh, Ghosts in the Park. But the, what I find interesting, and I think this you've done this before, where songs on previous albums are either referenced or they, they find a way to be relevant uh, on new albums. Is, it, is that something you're very much interested in? in? Well, yeah, I do. I, I like the, the the ideology of uh, sort of a universe, like Marvel has mm. its universe, or like um, 
uh, Knight Chamalier, whatever his name is, who does <laughs> he has his own kind of strange universe and sure. everything's linked within it. And I think that's a cool concept. I like little nods back to previous albums. I think fans, whether they're like little Easter eggs, I think fans appreciate that. They feel like they're you know they're they're, they're part of the bigger th- process, a bigger thing. Um, but yeah, the, that was just segregated from the record. Not because it was any less a track, it was just because it didn't really, you know, I know we slip back into, we can't help but slip back into the sort of gothic horror aesthetic, because that's essentially the beast at the core of Cradle of Filth, um, and especially in the lyricism. So um, this was, I just think, too much of a departure for the rest of the record, you know. Well, I find it interesting that you mentioned kind of the creation of this this whole universe uh, because with each album, I would uh, I would suppose then that that universe expands. But as you mentioned as well, without trying to to alienate uh, what the core of, of Cradle of Filth is. So is that a difficult thing to balance? Well, I guess so. Yeah, because you don't want to repeat yourself. I mean, there's some bands or, you know, where. You could just. Exp- I'm not. I'm not naming anyone, and I'm not pointing mm-hmm. fingers at anyone, uh, literally at all. Um, but you can expect. I mean, you can tell what the cover's going to be like long before it even comes out. You, you know roughly what the album's going to be like. You know, it can. Mm-hmm. Um, some bands work like that. I mean, not not everybody wants to put on a record and you know have to go through a philosophy test. People <laughs> um, just want to escape but if you want a little bit deeper then um i feel that the per- the people behind the music need to be doing the work <laughs> you know <laughs> so you're not doing it and metal in general is about escapism and suffer our dominion which is i guess our most socio-political song we've mm-hmm. ever written which because it has an observation on on the current climb um and uh what's going on um albeit in cre- cradle language Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think I think that's you know as far as we would go, because metal is about escapism, mm-hmm. and people put a metal record on because they want to feel empowered or they just want to indulge in something. They want to be taken away. They want to you know they want to fantasize. Do you know what I mean? Sure, of course. It, but what if I? Oh, they sorry. Le- they don't want to be lectured about politics, or um, you know, have to think too much mm-hmm. about the problems they're facing in the everyday world. I guess. But, but that's not an interesting point because, from your perspective, as a, as the one who creates and performs it, uh, what do you get out of it? Is it for you a, a sense of escapism as well? Because obviously, as you're creating the album and delving into the, all these types of themes that I would say that that's kind of a, a deep dive in a way, right? Well, it's, it's all cathartic. Okay. You know? It's uh, it, it's, a, it's like pressure release, you know, you've got all these ideas in your head, you formulate them, you, you, you formulate, perform them and, you know, hand them on a platter, a literal a vinyl platter <laughs> <laughs> to people. And uh, that whole process is really cathartic you know about basically ridding yourself of the demons that are floating around your head um i mean i can only use the last show because you know one prior to that was a year year and a half prior to that Uh, but bloodstock was perfect example you know being up there playing 
the new song, people really into it, seeing everybody's um, attitudes and seeing them, everybody like really enjoying themselves and getting into the music and all the great bands and all the people I'd met that I'd met before, it would be journalists or people working there or, you know, promoters or other band members, uh, roadies and crew and lighting guys. It was great. It was a great eye opener. And it's suddenly, you know, you realize your place and everything. And uh, again, you, you, you know, if, when you're in a band, you, 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 you do it primarily for yourself. You write stuff for yourself, mm-hmm. but at the same time, and just as importantly, you're writing stuff for your fans. And you don't want to let them down. And especially our fans, I think it, it could be our bugbear, but mm-hmm. um, or especially mine. But we people come to expect a certain tenacity and a level of a lyricism with Cradle of Filth and, and a, a certain depth. Um, so I guess if we did an album and it was all about girls with big boobs and <laughs> Ferraris, people would be slightly disappointed. They think, oh, you know, it's a little shallow this time, I think. So, yeah, we've dug our own grave in that respect. (laughs) Yeah, I was going to say, because does that create a lot of uh, pressure for you to come up with with concepts and then new ideas that that you feel do the fans justice, but also uh, pique your own interest? Yeah, of course, yeah. Otherwise, you'd be writing out. I mean, we've written uh, Tantamount to another record already. Um, Okay. Well, of course, yeah, I'm guessing loads of people have. I bet next year you'll see so many albums come out that, that haven't been, you know, haven't had any judicial kind of overlook. So no, basically what I'm saying is people have been writing stuff and nobody's going, you know what, that's actually not very good or, oh, my God, that's a bit self-indulgent because mm. they've just been left to their own devices. And when you get into a studio, obviously, you know, if you're, if you're working with a good producer and you're writing saying shit, they're going to tell you, otherwise they're not a good producer. Because um, their job is to make an album great. That's right. why you employ them. They're not, you know, don't employ them to make it shit. Well, you might do, but that's a bit <laughs> backward. Um, so, yeah, yeah, I, 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 I agree with that. I totally agree with that. And finally, then uh, you mentioned uh, the, the creative process and the performance process being cathartic. Now, is there is there one song then uh, that ended up on the album that that felt like a purge for you, or is it something that you had to get out, or that you wanted to really wanted to get out? Um, I guess how many tears to nurture a rose. Okay. Um, which may may actually be the third single after um, Necromantic Fantasies. Necromantic Fantasies, we're just working on. Well, the director is working on the video, and hopefully, I'll I'll see a um, a draft of that uh, mm. tomorrow. In fact, which I'm okay. very much forward to. Um, as the first one, it's the same director who directed uh, Crawling King Chaos. Oh, cool. <clears throat> um, and they were recorded at the same time, but very different, very different looks, very different feels. But yeah, how many tears to nurture a rose? Um, yeah, good. It's at very, if you picked it all apart, it's, it's very classical in the way it's, it's, it's written and mm-hmm. it, the way it alludes to. Um, to a goddess and worship, but I guess I suppose it's at the core of it. It's about relationships, and you know. Um, so yeah, it was it was something that I wanted to get off my chest, even if it is in uh, in in a strange, strange way. Right. Convoluted. Uh, 
unnecessary convoluted uh, journey. <laughs> but as, as you mentioned, that that is kind of the the cradle of filth uh, identity. So so and and what, with what you mentioned earlier about um, not writing or, or, or wanting to write something with substance, um, do you think you'll ever deviate from that in the sense that you might be uh, writing very direct lyrics where people can just exactly know what you mean or? As, as came up last week that you're uh, in talks, I think, with Ed Sheeran. So do you see a lot of um, flexibility in those things? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think I, I, I've flexed some of that muscle um, in my other band, Devilman. Although, mm. yeah, I mean, again, I couldn't help myself by being, you know, a tad poetic at times. Um, but yeah, absolutely. I'm very flexible. Okay. Well, um, last question. Then, what what can you tell me about the, the songs that you've already uh, written for for a new album? Um, well, they're not. They, I mean, they're important, but they're not important to really discuss. I mean, okay, okay. We, we're going to carry on writing. Is there's no? We're not going to be putting out another record anytime quite soon. <laughs> Fair enough. We 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 just wanted to you know like make hay whilst the the sun shined. Sean. Well, yeah, because as you as you mentioned, uh, it's getting to that time where people get to tour again, and then once you're in that uh, machine, then it's probably difficult to to get back to the creative side of things. So, well, so. yes, yeah, it's, it's just time permitting. You know, when you go on tour, you have these great aspirations all the time. I do, for example, like mm -hmm. okay, right, pack. I've got my diary there. I'm going to write a diary every day. I'm going to do this every day. Oh yeah, I've got this. Make sure I have this book and this book and this book and. Uh, I had my lyric book as well, so I can write notes to poetry. And then you get on tour, and by by day three, all that's out the window because you're just trying to survive. <laughs> you know what I mean? In in that sense, this is kind of to, definitely to round off. But you say you mentioned this uh, the second time now, trying to survive. So so, what is your? How do you how do you look at that? musician's lifestyle is it do you have kind of a love-hate relationship or do you like the struggle in a sense or, or the fact that it's 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 as hard a work as it is i guess subconsciously on a subconscious level you must love it you mm. must love the strife but it's very up and down because you can't it's totally unpredictable and it's getting right. it's obviously um there's more bands than there's less outlets and to actually you know like make make a living and if uh you know digital platforms and the fact that people don't pay for music anymore leads bands to tour more then there's more bands out there so there's more competition mm. less places to play less people to play pay play to because obviously people can't afford to go to everything good news is there's more festivals and i love playing festivals because you get mm. to meet everybody and blah 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 but um yeah it's 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 difficult i mean unless you push you're pushed beyond the threshold where, well, I don't really need to worry about that now because, you know, I wrote the final countdown and <laughs> or, uh, or nothing else matters. And, you know, I've got if, if you know, everything went tits up right now, then I, I, I'm actually, you know, I've got a healthy pension. Mm -hmm. But that's not the case for most musicians. You know, what I mean, most musicians are living bread to mouth and uh, or mouth to bread or whatever it's called. <laughs> and uh, the pandemic just uh, highlighted that and continues to highlight it right. because. People have got to have COVID passports now, and then some. Some venues are saying everybody's got to be, uh, you know, uh, vaccinated, or they can't come in. Or some countries are not allowing travel, and you know, it's fucking hard. We're going to America. We've got 
our visas and we would have to apply for these special visas because otherwise we'd have to quarantine. Mm. And then people wonder, well, when we were over there, what happens if somebody got ill? Were they, you know, know what I mean? It's just like, it's, sure. it's hard. Yeah, here in the Netherlands, it's been it's been weird as well because they canceled all musical uh, music festivals um, with a certain amount of people, but then other types of events uh, are yeah, going through, Cup, which is exactly. so lopsided now that the whole music industry is kind of uh, pushed to a back uh, seat position. So it's it is tough, well, as I, you I say. Totally agree. Like the World Cup, mm. you know, it was fine. To ha- it was fine to, for Wembley Stadium to have eighty five thousand people in it, but at that point. They were like saying, well, no, we can't have this festival. We can't have that festival. Downloads cancelled. Mm-hmm. It just felt a little bit like, you know, one rule for, for them and, and another for others. And hospitality section were all like, well, fucking hell, people are going out of business all the time. Right. What the hell is going on? I think we're just going to have to live with it now. It's like we've got a certain amount of people. If you don't want the vaccination, well, that's your problem. You're not going on holiday. So take that into account. Mm-hmm. Right now. I think people are just going to try and get back to normal as much as possible. And, you know, it's like it's too late. The economy's fucked. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, at least you have a nice show planned uh, for October, right? Uh, the Halloween. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm very much looking forward to it. Uh, you know, that, the whole experience of Bloodstock was just like, wow, this is great. This is the job we love, you know. So there's a kind of a reminder oh, this is why we do it. This is. Uh... Absolutely. Excellent. Well, very good to hear from you, Danny, and uh, thanks for taking the time to talk with me. And uh, yeah, I wish you the best with, with the album and everything that happens after. We'll see what happens. Okay, thanks, man. Yeah, really good interview. All right, thank you. All right, All right have you. a good one, Danny. Thank you.